Are you successful? Now, different people in this room would answer that question different ways. But my premise this morning is this. For you to be able to answer that question correctly, you need to understand success from God's perspective. In other words, what success really is. And once you understand that, then you can answer the question, am I living a successful life? Well, keeping that in mind, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, as we continue our study that we began last week through this wonderful Old Testament book. Joshua chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 5. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. As we discuss together what a life of success is all about. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, truth with no mixture of error. How about our music team this morning? Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. Good stuff. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success. Notice that. Good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have, there it is again, good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment to just once again give you glory. We are grateful, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done for us. And we are here, Lord, ultimately and preeminently to worship. And you are worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. And Lord, we continue to worship by opening the Bible and having you speak into our lives through your word. So God, we're expectant in this moment, and we ask that you would move with power and that you would transform our hearts for the glory of your great name. Holy Spirit of God, would you open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the truths of Scripture and have the inclination to obey. May we exalt together the strong name of Jesus. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Well, last week, as we began our journey through the book of Joshua, we saw that Moses, the leader of the people of Israel, died. And God gave the task to Joshua to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River into the Promised Land to conquer the peoples living there so God could give them that land in which to grow and to flourish and to rest. And as the Lord speaks to Joshua, preparing him for that role of leadership, he makes some comments about success. Verse 7 and in verse 9, we see the phrase there, good success. Do not turn from the, the law to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. That Hebrew word translated good success is the word sokal. It means that you may experience success or prosper. That's what the word literally means. The word prosper is used uh, down in verse 8. And that's the Hebrew word salah, which means to triumph, to succeed, or to thrive. And so the Lord desired for Joshua to succeed. He desired for him to thrive. And as we look at what the Lord says to Joshua, we begin to get a clearer picture of what a successful life looks like. And so I want to share with you two vital aspects of success found here in this passage. Some things that the Lord said to Joshua that we can take and apply to our lives. Two vital aspects of success in this passage. Number one, I want you to see with me a definition of success. A definition of success. So when we say, are you living a successful life? We need to know what a definition, a right definition of success is. Or we might ask the question like this, what is success in God's eyes? What does God call successful? Well, there are some answers to that question right here in our passage. First of all, success is accepting your assignment from God. Accepting your assignment from God. Look what it says there in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And so here was Joshua's assignment from God. You're to lead my people across the Jordan River. You're to conquer the people that live there in the promised land so the promised land can be yours, the land that I have promised to give you. That was Joshua's daunting task to lead this nation into that land. And so, if Joshua was going to be successful, have the good success that God talked about, then Joshua had to accept this assignment. He had to do what God called him to do. And that's success, accepting your assignment from God. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. Every one of us in this room that are Christ followers, we have an assignment from God. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we would all say together, praise the Lord for His amazing grace. His grace that saves. We don't earn our salvation, we receive it as a free gift through Jesus Christ. That's good news, right? But you've got to keep reading. Because in verse 10 it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. And so if you're a follower of Christ, God has a a blueprint for your life. He has an assignment, a purpose for you, and He intends for you to walk in that purpose. And so if we're going to be successful, certainly it means that we are doing what God has laid out for us to do. It means we have accepted our assignment from God. So if you don't have a real sense of meaning and purpose and and understanding of how God has shaped you and what God wants you to do in your life, then you need to be in the Word, on your knees, talking to other believers, discerning what God has for you, discerning the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Because if you miss that, and you get to the end of your life, and you look back, you'll say, I lived a wasted life. Success is accepting your assignment from God. Secondly, success is courageously acting on God's promises. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Isn't that interesting? So Joshua, your job is to lead the, the Israelites into the promised land in accordance with a promise I've made. It's the land that I swore, I promised to give. I made the promise. Your job is to claim the promise. And notice, he keeps saying through this passage, be strong and courageous. Have the courage, have the fortitude to act upon my promises. To do what I have called you to do. And success is courageously acting on God's promises. Just like Joshua God has made some promises to us. And they're promises that are realities because God made them. And God always comes through in His promises. But God intends for us to act in accordance with those promises. For example, God has promised that when it's all said and done, around the throne of Jesus, there would be people from every tribe, every tongue, every people group worshiping Jesus, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen? Habakkuk promises that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Those are promises from God. It's going to happen now. It's up to us to act on those promises. In other words, God intends for us to be the instruments, the means that he uses to bring those promises to fruition. And so God wants us to go to every people group and Tell them about Jesus and share the good news so that people for that people group can be saved and be around the throne of Jesus, giving him the worship he alone deserves. And so he's made the promise. It's going to happen. But we're called as his people to act on the promise. Let me tell you another promise that Jesus has made to us that we're called to act on. Jesus has said... Everyone who asks, receives. That's a promise. Now listen, if that's a promise from Jesus, why don't we pray? Why don't we take Jesus at his word and begin to ask him 
to work in our life and work in our family and work in our church and work in our community. Why don't we act on his promise? Because Jesus said, if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. That's a promise, right? But we're not called just to leave that promise floating out there. We're called to act courageously in accordance with that promise. Jesus promised in Matthew 16, as he founds the church, that, the, listen, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That's a promise, right? Now, if that's a promise, that the gates of hell will not prevail Why are we sitting back, going through the religious motions, letting darkness have its way in our land? I mean, what if we took the fight to the enemy? Amen? And and we actually marched forth as people who are filled with the Spirit, with the gospel that is the power of God and the salvation, and began to see God change lives through His church. He's made the promise the gates of hell will not prevail. Now we're called to courageously act and take some land for Jesus. Take some territory for the glory of his great name. Let me tell you another promise in scripture that we're called to act upon. Over 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible says that temptation is common to every man. Every one of us experience and encounter temptation to Dishonor and disobey God. Anybody here ever experienced temptation? Am I the only one? Yeah, all of us. But there's a promise in that verse. The promise is this. When we are tempted, God is faithful in that He always provides a way of escape. That's a a promise. But listen, in the moment of temptation, you've got to act on the promise you got to look for the way of escape that God has promised to provide. And when you find the way of escape, you got to not walk, but run. Flee. Get out of there, right? It's not enough to know that God has promised to provide a way of escape. you got to act on it. you gotta, you got to take that way of escape. You know, right now, marriages and families... And lives are being destroyed because of things that we view that are ungodly. Ungodly things we let pass before our eyes. And we've got to say as people of God that when we are tempted to look at things we ought not to look at, we claim God's promise that there is a way of escape and we don't give in to the temptation. We say no and we get out of there, right? Not letting the enemy have his destructive way in our life. And so success is like Joshua, acting courageously on the promises of God. I like this quote from Warren Wearsby. He writes, God had already given them, the Israelites, the land. It was their responsibility now to step out by faith and claim it. The lesson for God's people today is clear. God has given us all spiritual blessings in Christ, and we must step out by faith and claim them. He has set before His church an open door that nobody can close, and we must walk through that door by faith and claim new territory for the Lord. Now listen to what he writes. It is impossible to stand still in Christian life and service. 
For when you stand still, you immediately start going backward. Let us go on as God's challenge to his church. And that means moving ahead into new territory. Success is accepting God's assignment. And success is courageously acting on God's promises. And third, success is very simply glorifying God. Success is glorifying God. Now look what it says in verse 6. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So when the task was complete, when Joshua would get to the point where they had conquered the peoples living in the promised land and it was theirs to enjoy, theirs to rest in, no one would say at that moment, Joshua, thanks for giving us the promised land. No, everyone would say, God, thank you for giving us the promised land. You work through Joshua, you work through the, the people of Israel, but you're the one that gave it to us. And God is the one that gets the glory in that fulfilled task. I was reading this past week in Psalm 44, and it speaks of the exodus and the, the conquest of the promised land. Listen to what the psalmist wrote. You, God, with your own hand, drove out the nations. So who drove out the nations? Joshua and the army of Israel or God? God did. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations. But then you planted. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arms save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. And then in Psalm 44, verse 8, the psalmist writes this. In God we have boasted continually. In other words, when the assignment that God gave Joshua was complete... Guess who gets the glory? The one that made it happen. The one who worked in and through Joshua and gave the power and the strength and the wherewithal. The one who gave them the promised land. And so, success is glorifying God with our lives. Recognizing that every good and perfect gift is from above. Recognizing that if anything good happens in our life, He's the one that made it possible. He gets all the glory. Amen? If you get to the end of your life and people are applauding you, I would not call that a success. But if people look at your life and see the Jesus in you, that's biblical success. This past baseball season, I read a story on ESPN.com from Jason Stark. And it was written right after the Cubs won the game that sent them to the World Series. They hadn't even won the World Series yet, which they would go on to win. But the headline of the article said this, The world changed Saturday night at Wrigley. Now Wrigley Field's where the Cubs play their home games. And the article was, The world changed Saturday night at Wrigley. And I thought, that's interesting. So I began to read the article. And I came across this paragraph. What happened at Wrigley Field on Saturday night was more than just a baseball game. More than a sporting event. The world changed on this night. Millions of lives. Millions. And I thought, really? I mean, I know it's a big deal the Cubs won the World Series. And if you're a Cubs fan, you're probably thinking, move on from this illustration. I I get all that, but listen to me. Millions of lives changed? Is, is that success? That a baseball team made it to the World Series? Is, is that success? 
10,000 years into eternity, is that going to matter? At all? You see, we have taken the world's definition of success when we need to take God's definition. Success is accepting your assignment. Success is acting courageously on God's promises. And success is living for the glory of God alone. So that's a, a definition of success. But secondly, I want to share with you some resources for success. Because God never calls us to anything that he does not equip us to do. And here in this first chapter of Joshua, God wants Joshua to understand, hey, I've given you some things to help you to be successful, to experience good success. What are the resources for success? And can we find any links to our own lives? Is there application here for us? There is. The first resource for success we see is the Word of God. Do you notice the focus on the Word of God here in this passage? Look what it says in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And so there's this focus on Joshua interacting with, engaging the Word of God. Now at this time, the, the Word of God had been completed up to the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The rest was going to be written over time until we finally get to the point where we have what we call the completed canon of Scripture, 66 books, Genesis through Revelation. But at this time, what Joshua had was the Torah, the law, the first five books of our Old Testament. And God intended for Joshua to live in accordance with the Word of God. So... How was Joshua to engage the Word? And how are you and I to engage the Word? Because we have 66 books. Well, very simply, first of all, Joshua had to know it. He had to know it. Look in verse 7. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So God used Moses to write down these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So they had the Word of God, five books But it was the word given through Moses to Joshua as the leader to learn. He had to know it. And guess what? In the law, in Deuteronomy, it says that there needs to be a time when God's people gather together and this entire law, the first five books of the Bible, are read to the people. That's all. Get together and read the Bible. Can you imagine doing that today? Hey, we have a big meeting at the church. Uh, are we going, is it going to be a revival? No, no revival. How about a concert? Is it going to be a concert? No, nope, no concert. Is there going to be food? Maybe. <laughs> but here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together, and we're just going to read five books of the Bible. Can you imagine that? That's how serious God was about his people knowing his word. And the leader, Joshua, needed to know his word. And you and I, we need to know God's word. It is of utmost importance. Listen to me. You will not be a success from God's perspective if you do not know your Bible. You cannot overemphasize how important it is 
that you and I know the Word of God. How can you engage it? How can you live according to it if you don't know it? And here's the sad reality in the American church. There's a pervasive biblical ignorance in American Christianity. And we have no excuse. There are more resources today to engage the Word of God than we've ever had before. There are free websites. There are study Bibles. There are bookstores. There are churches with preachers and teachers. There are Bible apps. I mean, there are all these resources. And yet, instead of growing in our knowledge of the Word of God, we are going the opposite direction. And it's no one's fault but our own. If, listen, if we don't know the Bible, the blame is on us. And so as your pastor, because I love you, I want to say it again until you get tired of hearing me say this. If you don't have a systematic plan to read all of God's Word over a period of time, start today. Go to Google. Type Bible reading plans and you'll get all these plans that come up. Go to your Bible app. They'll have some plans suggested for you. Email me at pastorwade at longviewpoint.org. I'll make some suggestions to you. But you and I need to have a systematic plan to over a year's time or a year and a half or two years' time, we are reading through the entire Word of God. We're going to read Haggai and Habakkuk and Leviticus and Revelation and Mark and Ephesians and, and all of God's Word over a period of time so that we are exposing ourselves to the whole counsel of God. If we are going to live according to the book, listen, we've got to know what's in the book. You've got to know it. You've got to engage the Bible. So get a Bible reading plan if you don't have one already and start reading all of God's Word over a period of time and see how God changes your life through that. I'm reading through Leviticus right now. And it's awesome, awesome how God is, 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 is causing me to just worship Him for what he's done for me and how the pictures of Leviticus point to the finished work of Christ. I mean, it's just awesome. So you and I need to know it. If we're going to be successful, we've got to engage this resource of success called the Bible. Secondly, we've got to meditate on it. Look in verse 8 of Joshua 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. The Bible places an emphasis on meditating on God's Word. Now, biblical meditation is the exact opposite of Eastern mysticism meditation. You see these Eastern religions, and and meditation is emptying your mind and coming to a place of nothingness or zero desire in your life. Whatever that means. That's what meditation is. In Eastern mysticism, you're emptying your mind. Biblical meditation is filling up your mind. Filling up your mind with God's truth. And and the Hebrew word translated meditate uh, or meditation is the word haga. And it literally means, listen to this, to read in an undertone or even to mutter. To mutter, to speak in soft tones to yourself. 
And so keep that in mind. Meditation is a dialogue with yourself as you think about God's word and consider its implications for your life. I think that's what's in play in verse 8 when it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. If, if you're meditating, you're muttering. You're dialoguing with yourself. You're, you're thinking about God's word and its implications for your life. That's what meditation is. So here's what it may look like. Your Bible reading one morning is Ephesians chapter 4. And you read a verse that just jumps off the page at you. And if, if you read God's word consistently, there will be times when God's word just jumps off the page. And the, the verse you read is this. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. So throughout the day, you begin to think about anger. And does your anger cross the boundary into sinful living? Am I angry? Am I an angry person? Do do people have to walk on eggshells around me? You're, You're dialoguing with yourself. Why do I get so mad when someone cuts me off in traffic? Why is that? Where's that rage come from? Well, I mean, what's the big deal? Is anger affecting my marriage? Is, is, is anger affecting my parenting? Is, is anger affecting the kind of friend I am or the kind of employee or employer I am? And you're dialoguing with yourself. You're thinking about anger and its implications for your life. And, and when you see some areas in your life that need to be addressed, you cry out to God, God, would you help me here? I'm, a, I'm an angry person. And everyone knows it. And by your grace and your spirit, you've shown me through your word that I'm an angry person. Would you deal with that area in my life? That's just one example of many I could give you. But you're reading the word and you're having this dialogue with yourself. You're meditating. You're thinking through the implications of God's word for your life. William Van Gimmeren says, Meditation may be characterized as deep, reflective thought, often occurring in a repetitive or enduring fashion. And so here's what you need to do. Know the Word, and then meditate on the Word. Think about what you just read. But there's a third part. You need to know it, you need to meditate on it, and third, you need to do it. Or to to quote Nike, you need to just do it. Alright? Look what it says in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Now, I want you to notice a couple words here. Being careful to do. Underline the word do there if you have your Bible in a pen. Being careful to do according to all. Underline the word all. According to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Look in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do. Underline do. According to all, underline all, that I have commanded you. What's going on here? God says to Joshua, I want you to take all of my words seriously. When you know it and you meditate on it, obey it. Do it. Do all. Not the parts that are easy. Not the parts you like more than others. Do it all. That's how you live a successful life. That's how you use the resource of the Word of God. And guess what? Just like the Lord wanted Joshua to obey His Word, God wants you and I to obey His Word. Because over in James it says 
that God is looking for people that are more than merely hearers of the word. He's looking for doers of the word. Do it. Know God's word. Meditate on God's word. And then obey God's word. And God will use the the word as a resource in your life to help you to live a successful life. I like how James Montgomery Boyce says it. That is what we need today. Not increasingly clever methods, still less increasingly clever people, but obedience informed and motivated by the living and abiding Word of God. That's what we need. So the first resource for success is the Word of God. Here's the second resource God has given Joshua and God has given you for success. The presence of God. God wants Joshua to remember how he is present in his life. Look in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And so God wants to remind Joshua of his presence. And you and I, as followers of Christ, need to be reminded that God is always with us. Anywhere he sends us, any assignment he gives us, he accompanies us. With his presence. Let me tell you three things about God's presence. First of all, the presence of God assures that the power of God can be brought to bear on your situation. Verse 5, he says, no one will be able to stand before you. Why? Because I'll be with you. And hey, hey, Joshua, if I'm with you, guess what? My power's there too. Because where God goes, his omnipotence goes. Amen? And because I'm with you and my power is there too, no one will stand against you. Because my power will be brought to bear on your situation. And if you're a follower of Christ, God is present with you. And his power and indeed all of his attributes are brought to bear on your life. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That God is there and God can help because he is all-powerful. Secondly, the presence of God is based upon covenant faithfulness. Look in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, now notice there, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. For the Lord, your your God, is with you wherever you go. So the Lord identifies himself here as the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. The God that appeared to Moses at the burning bush. When you see in the Bible, the Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the designation for God's name, sometimes pronounced Yahweh. So God's saying, I'm not a generic God, I'm the God of Israel, the God of Abraham. And and, and Joshua, I'm your God. Notice, I'm the Lord, your God. And so Joshua had a relationship, a covenant relationship with God thereby assuring his presence in his life. Now, what does that mean for us? Here's what it means. I want to be very straight with you. That means that not everyone in this room can claim the presence of God. The presence of God is a reality for those who know God personally. And the only way you can know God personally, we heard it in song a little bit earlier, the only way you can know God personally is through a relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby He is your Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So listen to me. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the presence of God in your life. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you are separated from God. So not everyone in this room can claim the presence of God. It's only for those who are saved, born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's based upon covenant relationship. In our case, a new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the grave. If you're saved today, you have the presence of God as a reality in your life. If you're not saved, you can embrace Christ and the presence of God becomes a reality in your life. Can I tell you this? Why would you want to face life alone when God offers you His unfailing presence? Through Jesus. There's one final thing I want you to see about the presence of God. The presence of God means that we do not have to live in fear. That's the point in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Now some scholars believe that because God repeats himself about Joshua's need to be strong and courageous, that Joshua maybe was a little bit timid. Maybe the task was daunting and he didn't think he could do it. And so he keeps repeating himself, be strong and courageous. Watch this. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's presence banishes fear. If you remember that God is with you. God's presence banishes fear. And just like Joshua could claim the presence of God that would drive fear out of his life, you and I can claim his presence too. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. It could be that some of you are here this morning, you're a follower of Christ, and your heart is gripped with fear because of what you're going through in your life. And you needed to be here today to be reminded that God has not forsaken you. That God is with you wherever you go. He's with you every step of the way. You don't have to live in fear. Why? God's presence. And his word and his presence become resources that give us the, the wherewithal and, and the equipping and the confidence to do what God has called us to do. As I was thinking about these resources, I thought about David and Solomon in end of First Chronicles, chapters 28 and 29. Remember, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. Remember that story? And the Lord said, no, you're a man of war. You're not the one to build the temple. Your son, Solomon, is going to build the temple. So David says, well, if I can't build it, I'm going to set Solomon up for success. And he comes up with these plans, like architectural plans, to give to Solomon. He gathers craftsmen for Solomon to use that can craft the different things that needed to, to, to be done to, to build the temple and its different implements. He provides workers to, to do the, the grunt work, if you will, to, to, to bring the temple into existence. He even, in chapter 29, takes up an offering to gather more resources to build the temple. 
So all Solomon had to do is show up one day and say, go. Right? That's all he had to do. Why? Because his father had all the resources in place for for Solomon to be a success. And that's what Joshua 1 is all about. And that's what the Christian life is all about. God has provided for us in His grace, His Word, and His presence so we can do what God's called us to do. Amen? Amen. And so we see in this passage, as as we think about our own lives, is our life successful? We see a definition of success, and we see the resources for success. So here's the point. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. And this is... It's a really simple statement, all right, but it's profound. God has given you the resources to do what he wants you to do, so do it. God has given you the resources to do what he wants you to do, so do it. Obey. Courageously act according according to his promises. Accept your assignment. Live for his glory. Do it. He's given you everything you need. Let me close with this quote from David Howard. He writes, it is, not, it, it is striking that God's instructions here to Joshua are not about military matters. Isn't that interesting? Joshua's a general leading an army, and he has to go and fight a bunch of armies. And yet the Lord doesn't say anything about warfare. It is striking that God's instructions here to Joshua are not about military matters, given that Joshua and the Israelites faced many battles ahead. However, The keys to his success were spiritual. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. The keys to your success, the keys to your living a successful life are spiritual. They're spiritual. It's all about your relationship and your walk with God. He goes on to say, directly related to the degree of his, Joshua's, obedience to God. Our success is directly related to our obedience to the Lord. 